0: If you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 14. If you don't have your Bible, raise your hand so we can make fun of it. I'm just kidding. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 14. The message this morning is El Elyon. A verse that I think every Christian should not only commit to memory, but also commit to living by daily is 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. One way to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus is to do so through God's names and thus our current series, The Names of God. And so a little review, what does Elohim mean? Say that two times fast. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Elohim, what is that? Tell us about God. (laughs) Creator, heard somebody say it, Jehovah, Lord, remember I said if it's all cap Lord, Adonai, Master, Jehovah Jair, Lord who provides, Jehovah Saba or Sabbath, I wasn't here for that one. <laughs> warrior. warrior. Lord our warrior. Jehovah Nissi.
1: the banner? Banner. Yeah. yeah. What was
0: that? The list was here. Just one. <laughs> Jehovah Shalom. Surely you got that one. Peace. Lord is our peace. Jehovah Sidkenu.
1: Righteousness. That's right. That's right. You
0: weren't here last week. Jimmy did that one last week. Jehovah Mechadishkum. Lord who sanctifies. Jehovah-Rohi.
1: Lord Lord our our shepherd.
0: shepherd. Jehovah-Rapha. Lord our healer. So we can recite these. The question is though, do we truly know God through these names? And so the big question, one of the big questions before us this morning, the first one before us this morning is this, are we growing in the grace and knowledge of God's names? I'm going to give you two people who are as different as daylight and dark. Abe and lot. Mm-hmm. They both knew God as Jehovah Jair, didn't they? They had a lot of stuff. They both were pretty rich. They both knew God as Jehovah Sidkenu. Now you make a hard argument that it's difficult to know that the one knew God as that. In other words, God is righteousness. But in Genesis 15, 6, we read that Abram believed God and it was counted to him as what? Righteousness. And we read in 2 Peter 2, 6 to 8, if you're here Wednesday night, we looked at that. Three times there we read that Lot was a righteous man. Yet the earliest name by which Abram worshipped God is this one this morning, El Elion. And I would say it was a name that was missing from Lot's vocabulary. It was one he had not personally grown in the grace and knowledge of and the result, like I said, the story of their lives is as different as daylight and dark. One, Abram had an abundant entrance into the Lord's kingdom after experiencing the abundant life itself. The other, light, was saved so as by fire after having the theme song of his life being that from He Hall, Gloom, Despair, and Agony on Me. And so I would ask you the next big question is this. Which Christian is it your desire to be this morning? Abram, who has El Elyon in his vocabulary, or light? who has El Elyon missing from his vocabulary. And so we're going to be in two parts this morning. I know you think it's two parts and you're going to get out of here early, but that's probably not going to happen. The two parts, the exposition, how did Abram live in light of El Elyon, and the application, how can we live in light of El Elyon. So stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word, Genesis 14. As I get ready to read this, I just have to pick on him because... He made it to point to put it on the screen and say, now look at this and how Buffy gave me all these names, Jehovah, Mekadishim. Wait till you read these things, brother. I can't even pronounce them.
1: <laughs>
0: I was like, what was I thinking when I picked El Elyon?
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I'm probably not even going to be able to pronounce this one guy's name five times right, but we're just going to probably say King C. But anyway, Genesis chapter... 14. In the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariot, king of Elisar, Chadolomir, going to be king C, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goam, these kings made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, (coughs) Shinab, king of Admah, Shemimber, king of Zeboam, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. And all these joined forces in the valley of Siddim, that is the salt sea. Twelve years they had served King Sî, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, King Sî and the kings who were with him came and defeated the Rephaim, and Ashtaroth the Zuzum and Ham, the Emim, and Shava Kirathaim, and the Horites in the hill country of Seir, as far as El Paran on the border of the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to En Mishpat, that is, Kadesh, and defeated all the country of the Amalekites, and also the Amorites who were dwelling in Hazazon Tamar. And the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adam, the king of Zeboah, and the king of Bela, that is, Zoar, went out and they joined battle in the valley of Sidon with king C, king of Elam, title king of Elam, Amraphel king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Ellasar. four kings against five. Now the valley of Sidon was full of bidimum pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom in his possessions, and went their way. And the one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and of Aner. These were allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went pursuit pursued as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them, and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. And he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. After his return from the defeat of King C and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet with meet him, Abram, at the valley of Shavo that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. What does that remind you of? Communion, Communion which we're doing this morning. See how God works this out? <coughs> He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be, Abram, by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be, God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. That word there, God Most High, is this. Blessed be, Abram, by El Elyon. And blessed be, El Elyon. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, El Elyon, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. <laughs> I will take nothing but what the young men had eaten and the share of the men who went with me, let Anar, Eshcol, and Mamre take their share of the word of God, the people of God, and the power of the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. And Father, we... As we read here, that Melchizedek brought bread and wine. Father, we're thankful that you sent your Son. And Father, he gave himself up. And now, Father, we can partake of this bread and this wine this morning and to remember the great sacrifice that he made for us. Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and feet to obey you from the truths that we will find in your word this morning with regards to the fact that you are El Elyon, the God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And Father, we'll give you all the honor and the praise and the glory when you do that. For it's in Jesus' wonderful and precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So under the exposition, we'll look at three main things. The first is the background. Turn back to Genesis chapter 11, because when we're first introduced to Abram, in Genesis 11, what's not immediately apparent to us is the fact that Abram was a polytheist and an idolater. So if you look at Genesis 11:27, 27, it says, Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abraham, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. And Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred and Ur of the Chaldeans. And in verse 31, Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran his grandson, and Sarah's his daughter-in-law his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. And Joshua 24.2 fills in the gap for us on this. If you want to write that in your margin or you want to turn there with me to Joshua 24.2, you say, how do you know he was an idolater? and a polytheist. We'll call it Joshua 24, 2. Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nohor, and they served other gods. That's it right there. And so the question is, what other gods did Abraham serve and worship? The culture of that day, there were seven gods in their pantheon or their group of gods And the main god, the chief deity of that area, was the moon god, Nana, N-A-N-N-A, or Sin, S-I-N. And the names of Abraham's relatives actually have some elements of allegiances to the moon god if you look at their names. And so God's call of Abram to himself was a call out of idolatry. It's the same that it is with us. If you look at 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, it says how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And so look at Genesis 12, because Genesis 12 now finds a new Abram, one who had been a polytheist and an idolater, and now who, one who is a monotheist and a worshiper of the one true God. Look at verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred, and I will make of you a great nation. And look at verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Now fast forward a few chapters and look at how in verse chapter 14, verse 13, if you didn't catch it the first time, look at how Abram is identified. Do you notice something? Read it. How is he identified? The Hebrew. This is the first time this is ever mentioned in the Bible. We'll come back to that in a little bit. But a Hebrew, Brother David, earlier in that song we sang about what? Being a pilgrim. And we're on a journey. We're not of this world. And so for him to say, I'm Abram, the Hebrew, was to say, I'm Abram, a pilgrim, a foreigner. I don't belong to this area anymore because I belong in heaven. My citizenship is in heaven. I belong to the Lord. And so, this is how Abram would identify himself, and it's how foreigners would have identified him. So, just a couple things. What did Abram believe about the one true God? First of all, Abram believed God to be the Lord of the cosmos. Look at verse 22 and uh, 44 possessor of heaven and earth. And then he believed him to be the supreme judge of mankind. In uh, chapter 15, verse 14. It says, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. He believed Him to be the controller of nature. In uh, Genesis 18, 14, He was able to make Sarah, who was well uh, old, her womb to come to life and deliver a child. He believed God to be eternal. He believed God to be personal. He believed God to be master. Because notice what it said in chapter 12. The Lord said what? Go and Abram what? Win. That's master. He tells you what to do, you do it. And then the most significant here, he believed him to be highly exalted, most high God. And so, what are some ways we saw Abram worship this one true God? Well, he built altars, he called on the name of the Lord, he made vows, he tithed, as we're going to look at this morning. He was circumcised, he offered sacrifices, he prayed, and he planted trees. So what was the name of this one true God Abram believed in and worshipped? It's exactly what we talked about, El Elyon. And what you see between Abram and Lot's life, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, and I'm going to give you these things. As far as El Elyon being sovereign, God told Abram to go, and you know what he did? He went. God told Lot to get out. Of Sodom, And you know what Lot did? He hesitated and had to be drug out.
1: Mm-hmm. Kick
0: in the screen. Abram believed that El Elyon was strong. He took 318 men and went and defeated four kings as we'll look at in a minute. Lot, two angels come and he thinks he has to protect the two angels that he has to do God's job for him because God ain't strong enough. Abram sings He built an altar twice to the Lord. We see nowhere Lot praising the Lord. We see Abram that he was saved or he's calling on the name of the Lord. Lot was righteous, but we don't see the guy praying. you can be saved and have a terrible uh, prayer life and your spiritual life is going to be a hot mess. It's going to be as dry as the Sahara Desert. In fact, if you want to know why your spiritual life is so dry, as Marty and I were talking about yesterday, you know, you can always go back, I would say, to two things. How much are you praying and how much are you in God's Word? And then supplicator. Like I said, you see Abram calling on the name of the Lord. You don't see Lot praying. The, that, uh, El Elyon was the shelter. Where did Abram go? The land of Canaan. He went to the shelter of God. Where did Lot go? He went to the shadow of the world. He went to Sodom. And then the source. Look at where Abram settled. Notice what it says. By the oaks. Trees are very significant in Scripture. Where was it that Lot got his source from? The world saw. And so that's kind of the background of those two. So let's look next at the battle. Look at verses 1 to 12. We have to kind of go back and get a little world history. And hopefully you're not like some of the folks in my office, and we had a little history lesson this week. They couldn't even tell me who's on the $20 bill. They didn't even know who was on the $1 bill. They knew who's on the $100 bill because who don't want Benjamins? But they thought Benjamin Franklin was the president. (laughs) So maybe a little world history will remind you that there's a thing called a vassal state. And so a vassal state was a state that was really independent, but it was also dominated by another state. And a lot of times it would have to send military people if the larger state said, hey, send us some soldiers or they would have to pay taxes and tributes. And so that is the context of what's going on here. And so these five kings finally said, look, we have had enough is enough. You ain't the boss of me, is what they said. And we're going to rebel. They had served King C for 12 years. The 13th year, they rebel. And the 14th year, King C said, Oh, y'all think y'all so bad? Well, we're about to find out. And he literally comes kicking rump the whole way. Not only does he come to put them back under subjection, but he whoops everybody along the path as we read there. And so then it's a fight. It's five against four on the five's home turf. Who you think's going to win? The five. Look how embarrassed of a defeat it was. It says in verse 10, the valley of Sidon was full of bitumen pits. Now they live there. Don't you think that they know that it's full of bitumen pits? And as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, they fell into them. I mean, this is an embarrassing loss. It's five against four. You're on your home field. You lose. You get embarrassed. They steal everything you got. They take all your stuff and all your people and they're out of there. It was terribly embarrassing. Now we read this and you know I think we might be tempted to say well poor Lot. Don't we? Man, this must have been terrible. I'd say heck no, he kind of really got what he deserved, didn't he? Why is he where he's at? Because Abram gave him the choice. If you remember back and he says you pick whichever. And Lot looks over at the world, Sodom. And he goes, that looks pretty amazing. And he picks Sodom selfishly. He knew he had no business being there. And like I said, I think as we talked about Wednesday night, when we read the story of Lot's life, I think you would really be tempted to say if we didn't have 2 Peter 2, 6-8 to to fill us in, this guy is as lost as last year's Easter egg and as dead as last spring's bird nest. Because there's just no sign in his life of spirituality. Now I don't know that there really is a thing as a worldly Christian. I think it's an oxymoron, but I think you can make the case upon Lot's life that there are worldly Christians. And we all know that we can all fall away from the Lord at times. Amen? Maybe Lot, when they went down to Egypt, got a taste of Egypt and he liked it. Whatever is the case, we don't find any record in Scripture that Abram, and think about it, Abram is not only his uncle, but remember what I read. His father had died. So what do you think Abram really is to Lot? He's really like a father. Now if Abram is calling on the name of the Lord, doing all this stuff, worshiping El Elyon, and more than likely saying his name, don't you think Lot had heard those things? And I think that's a warning to you young people that faith is non-transferable. Marty can tell you about bank deposits and different things that it may say this is non-transferable. In other words, if it's non-transferable, you can't take it out of my account and put it into Marty's account. Faith is (coughs) non-transferable. I can tell you, and I'm just going to pick on her, but I can do it with Molly or any of you in here, Will. I can tell you that Kayla's faith is not transferable from Cassie. It is her own faith. But there's a lot of kids running around living their life and really all they have is their faith is transferable from mama and daddy. That mama and daddy have faith means squat. It's do you have faith? And you see that here in life's life. Abram is a great pitcher. For us, a one who knew El Elion and had grown in the grace and knowledge of El Elion, and light is not. Because faith is not transferable, brothers and sisters. And it has to be personalized. And so what happened to Lot is this, that Abe was a friend of God. We read that in James 2.23 and we read that Lot is a friend of the world. And you know what James 4.4 4 says? Anyone who makes himself a friend of the world, you know what they are? Yeah. An enemy of God. And so Lot's a friend of the world. In time, he's conformed to the world. And then when Sodom lost the war, he was condemned with the the world. Now here's the thing. I'm going to give you a couple things as far as Abe. One, he was a watcher. Don't you think Abraham is watching this all unfold and seeing his nephew mess up? And don't you think he's going, Wake up and smell the coffee! You ever had that prayer about one of your kids? Maybe you ain't there yet, but I've had that prayer about several of my family members. Wake up and smell the coffee! I mean, a woman yesterday, I had to go out after we got back from Cookville, Cookville, 51 years old, and she's not here today. Do you think when she woke up yesterday, she knew that that was the end? Brothers and sisters, we're not promised a hundred years. This whole thing of Christianity ain't some fake and it ain't some game. It's time for people to wake up and smell the coffee. And it's time for us, like Abraham, to stand the wall and watch. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 3, because I wonder how many of us are standing and watching. Because if the number of visitors that we have come on a Sunday morning is any indication, then it may not be very much. I'm not saying that to throw a dagger at you. Ezekiel chapter 3, let me get there, verse 17 and 19. At the end of seven days, in verse 16, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Do you realize that God has made us a watchman for this world? Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. Has God said that in His Word? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is what? Death. These people that do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, they shall surely die. The day is coming. And it might be tomorrow. It might be a hundred years. But it is coming. And then, as we talked about this morning, it says in Hebrews, for a reason, it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God and be judged by Him. But what happens is, the church is standing around and not giving warning. And we got pastors that want to debate on Facebook, why do we not have baptisms like we have? And oh, it's because we're not doing this and we're not giving invitations and we ain't doing this. Can I tell you that it's because the church is not faithful. Yeah, that's right. It ain't got squat to do with me getting up here and giving an invitation or not, but it's got everything to do with me on Monday morning and you on Monday morning going out into this world and opening our mouth and warning people and being a watchman on the wall. I'm tired of in Baptist circles we want to try and say everything is the problem except the problem which is us. You shall give them warning if I say to the wicked you shall surely die and you give him no warning no speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life here it is that wicked person shall die for his iniquity but his blood I will require at your hand do you know I told my own mother this verse she said I don't want to hear that garbage about Jesus said my duty to you has been dismissed dear mother the blood is no longer on my hands I wonder how many Christians sitting in Christianese circles and As Coach talked about this morning, their little limousines got blood all over their hand because they won't open their mouth and tell anybody about Jesus. And we got way off on that, but I think it was much needed. Amen? Amen. Abram was a watcher. Are we we watchers? Mm -hmm. And so why did God spank Lot's rear end? A, because he needed it. And what is the discipline of the Lord always for? To bring us back to Him. The question then is, would Lot listen? Alright, so the second part of the battle. Look at verses 13 to 16. One who escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew. So we got a POW, prisoner of war, that comes and tells Abram the Hebrew the news of the five kings' defeat and plunder and that his nephew Lot had been taken captive. And my first thought is this, well, what's Abram going to do about it? I mean, you just had five kings on our home turf get whooped. What do you think Abram is going to do about it? Maybe the escapee, what came to mind was this, that Abram is loaded. He's rich. In fact, that's what Dr. MacArthur says in his study Bible. He says, one as wealthy as Abram could not be hard to find and was obviously thought to be one who could do something about the crisis. Isn't that what we a lot of times think? Whoever's got the most money can do the most stuff. Maybe, just maybe, unlike Lot, El Elyon wasn't missing from his vocabulary and he had heard Abram talk about El Elyon, the Most High God, and he knew Abram was loaded because he was Abram the Hebrew. And he knew El Elyon, the possessor of heaven and earth. And he knew that El Elyon plus nothing equaled everything. And as we sang this morning, that's why I picked that song, The Lion and the Lamb. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? I'll tell you who, nobody. And as Chris Tomlin's sang, if our God is for us, what could ever stop us? Who could ever stop us? I'll tell you, nobody. Nothing. And so here's what Abraham does. He saddles up his 318 men and they go out to fight and you think, well they're outnumbered and outclassed, listen to the verbs. He led forth, they went in pursuit, 120 miles they went on foot. Divided forces, defeated them, pursued them, and what did they do? They brought back everything and everyone. And it wasn't just a spanking, it was a literal slaughter because if you have the King James and the King James in verse 17 It says, and the king of Sodom went out to meet him, Abram, after his return from the slaughter of King C. And that word in the Hebrew can be translated smite, but it can also be translated kill. So I want you to take away three things. I told you, Abram the watcher. And so are we Abe the watcher? Are we watching? Are we warning people of the impending judgment that is to come? Now, look at Abe the warrior, and are we warriors? Look first at his attitude. Abe is in the world, but not of the world. He's separated, but not isolated. He's irregular, but he ain't irrelevant. The truth is, he and some local sheiks had gotten an alliance together for times such as this. As one pastor said, he was Abe the Hebrew, he was not Abe the hard hearted. We must be uncompromising, brothers and sisters. But we serve El Elyon, the Most High God. We cannot be uncaring and uncompassionate. And as my wife shared with me this morning, that our niece said that there's a child that lives across the street from her, said, you know what I'd really like for Christmas? A coat with no hose in it. We can't turn a deaf ear to things like that, brothers and sisters. And not only that we can then provide that child with a coat, what if that then allows her mother to hear the Gospel? We can't be uncaring. We can't just say, well, I'm so busy, I'm just going to go on about life. And we just blow these divine appointments out of the water. God gave us that for a reason. That little girl said that for a reason. You don't just let that go. God's heart, which is people, has got to be our heart. Amen. I love what Dr. Wiersbe said. Listen to this. He said, when you see that people are in trouble, you don't ask them for a testimony before helping them. I don't care what is going on in that family. I don't care what may be the reason that somebody's in jail. I don't care what may be the reason that they have fallen away from the Lord. Our job is not to know about the what, but to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And if Jesus will pick up the woman caught in adultery and say, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Let you know going to cast the first stone go on and do it. That needs to be our heart, brothers and sisters. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, did the Good Samaritan go over there? We talked about this. I said this during the message if you remember back. Did the Good Samaritan go over there and go, Well, then, why are you laying over here in this ditch? What did you do to deserve this? But I have heard well-meaning Christians do that very thing to people who are addicted, who are depressed, who are hurting and burdened. Not to go over to the ditch and ask for a testimony we're to go over to the ditch and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Listen to what Galatians 610 says. So then, as we have opportunity, you know what opportunity shows up as? Divine appointments. It shows up as little girls saying, "I wish I had a coat that didn't have holes in it. Let us do good to who? Those that deserve it, read it. That's the Bodhi Bauckham translation. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to those who deserve it. No, it says let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. We have some people in this church that need us. We're on Facebook Live, so I'm not saying names, but I'm just wondering, are we going to be a church that reaches out to these people and shows them the hands and feet of Jesus? Think about it. Joseph was in a foreign country, Egypt. Daniel was in Babylon. Nehemiah was under a heathen king. And you know what they all did? What we need to do, which is bloom where God has planted us. You know where Marty Bowers needs to bloom? In Covenant High, because that is where God has planted. You know where I, where Buffy Cook needs to bloom? In MMG Bright, because that is where God has planted. You know where you need to bloom in Barlett? You know why? Because there's as many lost people in Barlett as there is in the token as there is in the whole country, because that is where God has planted you for now. You know where you need to bloom, Amy Bowers? At the Tipton County Jail because God knows they need to hear the love of Jesus, and that's where God has planted you. So, Abe could have said, You know, what, you're just an idiot, you deserve what you got, now suffer the consequences. But was he like that? No, in fact, he went and risked his own life, so that was his attitude. Second, look at his army. There's some great spiritual lessons here from Abram's physical army. Look first there in verse 14. It says that they were born in this house. 1 John 5, four. Listen to this. It says, Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. When we were born of Adam, you know what we were? Losers. When we were born of Christ, you know what we became? Victors. Second, they were armed. The King James Version in four, verse 14 says, He armed His trained servants. To win a war takes more than zeal and courage. You've got to have effective equipment. Amen? And I've already said our two most effective are the Word and prayer. Number three, they were trained. Great equipment and no training. You know what that equals? Disaster. Because what happened with David... Saul brings out his armor. He's got some great equipment. He says, put this stuff on. It's the best on the planet. And what does David say? Take that stuff and throw it in the garbage because I haven't trained with it and it's useless. I'll take my little five uh, stones and my slingshot and I'll be fine. Thank you very much. What's the whole purpose of the local church? To train the people. To equip them to go out and do the ministry. And then they believed in their leader. Were I mean, where did Abram get his orders? Got it from El Elyon. And they got their orders from Abraham. We get our orders from Christ and we need to obey him. Number five, they were united. There weren't four armies with four leaders. It was one army and Abe was in charge. Think about this. Imagine the victories the church would win today if we were united. If instead of competing... We cooperated. Instead of worrying about this second and third level doctrine nonsense, we just got on the one page of that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Savior, Jesus is coming back, and all those who don't know Him will be judged and condemned to a godless eternity. And it's our responsibility to share that. And that Jesus Himself commanded us to love God and love people. That right there is a whole lifetime of doing for the people of God. Why don't we get united on the same page? Instead of fighting. One person said the trouble with the church is there are too many generals and not enough privates. Amen to that. Number six, they were single minded. Their goal was victory over an enemy. It wasn't personal revenge. It wasn't private game. It wasn't so I could say I'm the best pastor in the state of Tennessee. It was so that the captives could be set free. What did Jesus say in His inaugural sermon? I have come to do what? Set the captives free. When you look at someone, you know what you're seeing? A lost person. You are seeing someone that is captive to the devil. And we need to win them back. And then, third, look at his achievement. How much of the stuff did Abraham get back? Eighty percent of it. Ninety-nine point two percent of it. All of it. You remember what I said in the message on Jehovah Nissi that God told Moses, "I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek." And I asked you why God said that. Because God is not interested in us having halfway victories. And what we do is we give the devil and we give the world and we give the flesh visitation rights and then we suffer the consequences of it. It is time for God's people to stop being happy with halfway victories. Abram went and took it all back. Alright, now let's look at the blessing. We'll look at this quickly. Look at verse 17. After his return from the defeat of King C and the kings who were with him, King of Sodom comes out to meet him and look at what the king of Sodom says. You give me the people and you just keep all the stuff for yourself. One pastor says, sometimes the greatest danger we face comes after winning a battle. Mm-hmm. And therefore be as watchful after the victory as before the battle. Abram's met by two kings. One is the king of Sodom and one is the king of Salem, Melchizedek. This is a pre-incarnate Christ. And so he comes out and he, the first king says, here, I'll give you all the spoils. And the second one comes out and says, you know what I'm going to give you? Bread and wine. And we already looked at What does that remind us of? What we're about to partake of this morning. The message was clear. Abram could live for the world or he could live for Jesus. Abram lived for Jesus and Lot lived for the world. And as Paul Harvey says, you know the rest of the story. Look then at the second part of this blessing. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham by God El Elyon, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God El Elyon who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The reason Abram didn't take the bait of King Solomon (coughs) and the world is because he knew King Jesus had something better for him. Take this world and give me Jesus. Abram lived by the blessing of heaven, not the bribery of the world. And He said, I ain't going to take so much as a shoelace Mm -hmm. because I told God I would not. Here's just a quick commercial before we get into the application. This is the law of first mention. Y'all have heard me say that, right? This is the first mention of tithing. Where is the law? It's not for a long time to come. And so for everybody who says tithing is out the window because we're not under the law does not obviously understand that tithing antedated the law. As Dr. Rogers said on tithing, Abraham commenced it, Jacob continued it, Malachi commanded it, Jesus commended it, who are you to cancel it? Now, that said, as I've told you, the New Testament pattern is 2 Corinthians 8 to 9. Voluntarily, cheerfully, and bountifully, you may be able to give 23%. The tithe is not the end all. And that said, listen to this. I love the way that Dr. Spurgeon put it. As far as tithing. He said, There is no law to tell me what I should give my father on his birthday. Hmm. There's no rule laid down in any law book to decide what present a husband should give his wife. The gift must be a free one or it has lost all its sweetness. That's why, yes, I think a tithe is a good place for you to start, brothers and sisters, but I ain't going to get up here and command and demand anybody give a tithe because you might be able to give more and we are not under the law and you ought to bring it because you remember what this man did for you. And if you step your whole body into the offering plate, as I've said before, what's in there with you? Your wallet. But just a little commercial on the tithe. Alright, let's look at the application quickly. It's been said faith is belief with legs on it, so what's it look like to pro- practically walk this out? That we have drawn in the grace and knowledge of El Elyon like Abram and not un- unlike light. Seven things quickly with an S. The first one is sovereign. God is sovereign, He's supreme. To have grown in the grace and knowledge of El Elion is to acknowledge Him and Him alone is supreme is the Most High God. You got a battle of nine human kings and each probably felt they were better than the other. And God gets into the fight with 318 men traveling 120 miles on foot and they win and they win big. You know why? Because God is supreme. Think about it. We have someone living in us who is greater than anything in this world and his name is Jesus. And think about it. I don't get my marching orders from President Obama, President Trump, or nobody. I get my marching orders from King Jesus Mm -hmm. because my citizenship is not in America. My citizenship is in heaven. Abram the Hebrew, Buffy the Christian alright, the S next S is shelter where do you run in times of trouble and distress David, you know the song a mighty fortress is our God Mm -hmm. and that is based on Psalm 46 1-4 he is a present help anytime y'all remember the story of the Chilean miners that were trapped 2300 feet underground and they all 23 got out you know how they got out El Elyon, exactly. Because the testimony those men gave is that they prayed to God to deliver them and He came through. And can I tell you, I don't care how bad life has caved in on you and no matter what way it is, financially, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, El Elyon is able for you to run to Him and be the shelter that you need. Alright, the next S is Strength. Marty and I were talking, I think, last week, last two weekends, we drove all over the country. I can't remember what conversation was what. But y'all ever seen the little ESPN thing, and it says the percent winner prediction? I mean, I was watching the Eagles and the Giants this last Sunday, wanting to throw my phone against the wall when we're losing In two plays, the Eagles went from a 54% chance of winning the game to the Giants a 54% chance of winning the game. And I'm thinking, who comes up with these odds? And when I got on there to look at the Tennessee-Alabama game, it said Alabama had a 98.6% chance of winning. And I told Dr. Craig, y'all remember the line from the movie, so you're saying I got a chance. You're saying Tennessee's got a chance. No, not really. But who comes up with these odds? I wonder what the odds makers would have said about 318 men against four kings. I wonder what the odd makers would have said about five stones against one Goliath. I wonder what the odd makers would have said about one prophet, versus 450, prophets in a prayer contest. Can I give you a little spiritual algebra? Nothing plus L. Elian equals infinity. When you put His strength in there, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. And as it's been said, don't tell God about your great big problems, tell your problems about your great big God. And then the source is the next S. 318 men were not the source of the deliverance, they were the resource of the deliverance, and that's an enormous difference. Think about it. 318 men under Abraham were the resource. Who was the source? El Elyon. 300 men under Gideon's watch were the resource. El Elyon was the source. Five loaves and two fishes that a young lad had were the resource. And El Elyon was the source. He is God the possessor of everything, of heaven and earth. And so I think a very important thing particularly for you young people as the source who are you getting your counseling from? Please don't tell me it's from some of your friends because I know some of your friends. (laughs) And who's Buffy Cook getting his counseling from? It needs to come from El Elyon brothers and sisters because he's the only source. All right, three more S's quickly. The next one is sing. No, Brother David, I always got to put that in there. It's just a bad Pentecostal in me. Abraham's song, he says, King of Sodom, you just get on out of here. I've lifted my hand to the Lord God, most high possessor of heaven and earth, and I told him I wouldn't take so much as a stitch, and I ain't going to. Mm -hmm. He's singing God's praises because he knew where the victory came from. The next S is supplication. What's interesting to me is not only the first thing we see Abram believing about the God that caught him out of idolatry, but the first way we see him worshiping that God. The Lord said to Abram, God spoke to Abram. And then we read that Abram called on the name of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, when problems arise, what are we doing about it? What's our prayer life look like? What's our prayer life look like individually? What's our prayer life look like corporately? Have you prayed that each and every one of us in this church would have a deeper hunger for God and His Word? Have you prayed that we would be more the hands and feet of Jesus? Have you prayed that we would be more out witnessing to people? We need to be a house of prayer. And finally, the S is Savior. I'll read quickly one verse. I've made it on time. Hebrews 7, 1 to 3. Put this in your cross notes. For this, Melchizedek. Didn't we just read about Melchizedek? No. Thought writer of Hebrews is going to tell us something about him king of Salem that's really the word shalom peace he was king of Salem that is actually Jerusalem who else do you know that's king of Jerusalem and brings us peace and the word actually Salem means righteousness as well this Melchizedek this Jesus and actually he's higher than Melchizedek Look at what it says. Priests of the Most High God met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned the tenth part of everything. Let me ask you, who who is the only one worthy of worship? You starting to see who this King Melchizedek was? He is first by translation of his name King of Righteousness. And then he is also King of Salem, that is King of Peace. Look at listen, listen to verse three. He is without father or mother or genealogy. Who has no beginning and no end? And that's what it says, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. This Melchizedek is none other than Jesus. He's our high priest forever. He's brought us to God and He is right now living to make intercession for me and you. And if that don't make you want to jump up and down and run out of here and sing glory hallelujah that Jesus is your high priest forever and not that He just then sat down at the right hand of God and said I'm done. That He is right now interceding for Susan Williams. That He is right now interceding for Buffy Cook. How did I get so off script? Because obviously he had some things he wanted to say. But he's right now interceding for each and every one of us. If that don't make you want to run out of here and jump up and down and scream glory, hallelujah, then your wood is either wet or you ain't got no wood. And can I tell you, brothers and sisters, that the gospel,
1: that El Elyon
0: was not a one-time event in Abram's life. El Elyon meant everything to Abram all of his life. And can I tell you, the gospel ain't a one-time event that you believed way back in the summer of 1944. The gospel is something we live by every single day. That's right. And I have to speak it over my life and to myself every single day. Are we doing that? In closing, Have y'all ever recorded a sporting event because you couldn't watch it live? Did anybody ever mess up the sporting event for you and tell you your team won before you could watch it? Cassie's shaking her head. Did you watch it anyway? Anyway, when Tennessee beat Kentucky, one of the highlights of our season, (laughs) or a few... I would recorded it and my wife could not understand why I wanted to go back and watch it. But you know how I watched that game? If Tennessee made a bad play or we got behind, you know what I did? Didn't bother me a lick. You know why?
1: And then the outcome.
0: Why do we watch the same movie over and over and over? Ladies, how many times have y'all watched Steel Magnolias? At
1: least five.
0: At least five. You know what's going to happen every time. How many of you guys have watched The Shawshank Redemption over and over? I know I've watched it about a hundred times. Me too. And I know Andy's going to make it out of there every time. That's the beauty of the so- of the movie. The beauty, my wife didn't understand why I want to go and watch Tennessee when I already knew they were going to win is because the pressure's off. Do you see the spiritual application? That's how we ought to be in real life. We know that El Elyon, thanks be to God, gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that El Elyon, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. We already know the outcome, brothers and sisters. And if we're trusting Him and worshiping Him, then you know what will happen? No human's going to intimidate you. You know what any enemy will do? Not frighten you a lick. You know how much of the future will worry you? None. None. You know how many circumstances you will be content in? All. You know why? Because you'll know that LLL rules and reigns over every square inch of your life. I told Marty I'd seen something. Maybe y'all saw it on Facebook. It said this. Young people. You think you've maybe messed up God's plans for your life and maybe some of you older people You think, I have done some dumb stuff. And I have royally messed up God's plan for my life. You know what it said? And I told Marty, I said, when I read that, it stopped me in my tracks and slapped me right between the eyes. You ain't that strong. Mm -hmm. Do you think you're stronger than El Elyon? Can I tell you, we ought to all be in here on this altar this morning because I don't care how much we've messed up. I've messed up in the last five years leaving this church, brothers and sisters, more times than I care to admit. There's things I wish I could take back. There's things in my life I wish I hadn't done or said. And you know what? None of that's messed up God's plan for my life because I ain't that strong because He's El Elyon, the Most High God. And we ought to be up here this morning just pouring ourselves out and saying, God, thank you that you are El Elyon. And that I can't mess up my life. Which Christian is it your desire to be this morning? Abram or Lot? One that's grown in the grace and knowledge of God's names? Like Abraham knew El Elyon and entered God's kingdom abundantly and enjoyed the abundant life Jesus came to bring? or one who did not groan in the grace and knowledge of God's name like Lot, who El Elyon was missing from his vocabulary, and like I said, he was saved, so as by fire, and gloom, despair, and agony on me was the theme song of his life. I pray your desire this morning is to be Abram. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your many blessings. Thank you for this time to gather together and worship you, to sing songs to you, Father, and to hear your word, and, Father, to uh, listen... Uh, as you spoke to each and every one of us, something I take differently, Father. We trust in the promise of your word that it will not return void. And so, Father, I pray that you would work each and every uh, way that you would have uh, in our lives, Father, to accomplish, to bring us to look more like Christ. I pray as we come to this time of invitation that if there's anyone who doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior this morning, that today would be the day and an old sinner would come home. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Many of you have heard me tell of why I'm not Catholic. It's because I don't need a priest because I already got one. I got a high priest forever. One after the order of Melchizedek and his name is Jesus Christ. We read this morning in Hebrews 10 that he offered up the blood of bulls and goats could do nothing. And so Jesus went in and offered the one time only needed sacrifice. And now he's seated at the right hand of God as our high priest forever. And we've talked about some big questions this morning. Are you growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ through his, God's names? Which Christian is it your desire to be? But the big question before each and every one of us this morning is, do you know Jesus Christ personally is priest? Is He your Melchizedek? Through His one all-time single sacrifice for sins have you been made perfect and righteous? If you have never believed on the Lord, you've never received His free gift of eternal life, you've never repented of your sins, you've never confessed Him as Lord, then the answer is no, and according to John 3:36, the wrath of God remains on you. But can I tell you, if you have believed in Jesus, You have received Him. You have repented. You have confessed. And the answer is yes, He is your Melchizedek. And per John 5.24, a verse that can make us all jump up and down and shout, you don't come into judgment, but you've passed from death to life. And so as we stand and sing this morning, if there's anything that you want to come to the altar for this morning, or you don't know Christ and you need to come and talk with myself, Marty, Jimmy, anyone, we'll stay here until everyone here has had time with the Lord. Let's stand this morning.
1: (coughs) Psalm will be on your screen. Days are filled with sorrow